Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Hello, friends, and thanks for joining me on another episode. I wanted to get back to the series that I started probably way back in January on the creation ordinances. And if you've been following this podcast and listening along in the serial format, you'd know that I was working through those ordinances. And then um, March hit, and I had about a three-month break where I didn't record any episodes. And then again, last week, which would have been the second to last week of July, I recorded an episode with some biblical thoughts on mass shootings. But uh, today I want to get back into the series on creation ordinances. And I know that in the previous episode, which would have been way back in March, if you were listening back then and didn't hear anything like I'm trying to catch you up, or maybe you just found this podcast and you're downloading it and listening through all the episodes, I want to catch you up and say, all right, I know that I said I would talk about the church's relationship to government authorities. And that's still something I want to talk about, but I think I want to break that out into its own mini-series because I think there's more than I want to cover in just one podcast episode on that. Um, What happened over the last two years with the COVID-19 pandemic and various government responses and church responses Uh, and responses within the evangelical community, it deserves a great deal of unpacking and actually provides a great opportunity for us to look at how we can be obedient to the scriptures that ask us to submit to governing authorities while also saying, your authority stops here. Your authority stops at the walls of this church because when your authority impedes the worship of Jesus Christ, then we have to choose to worship Christ rather than to obey your authority. That, and, and by your authority, I'm referring specifically to governing authorities. Okay, so if you were following along in that serial, I said I would do that, and I, I will do that, but I'm going to break it out into its own series. Today, what I want to cover is the creation ordinance of labor or work, okay, And this would be the fourth creation, I'm sorry, the third creation ordinance that we are covering. All right, so let's get started. The creation ordinance of work. There is strong evidence for the creation ordinance of work found in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And this creation ordinance of work is something that human beings are going to model because God is a God who works. So we are modeling. God's work as we participate in and as we practice the creation ordinance of work. So let's just take a look here at how God worked in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we find that God spoke, and when God spoke, different things came into being. So for example, In verse 3 of Genesis 1, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Previously, light did not exist, but God said, Let there be light, and light came into existence. And then God said, 
in verse 6, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And so God made the expanse and separated the waters below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And God called this expanse heaven. Okay. And so this was all done on day one. Then on uh, day two, it says, uh, let God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind and so on. So I'm sorry, that was day three, not day two. At any rate, you can see that God was speaking and things were coming into existence. Plants, planets, stars, um, different expanses, an expanse known as heaven, an expanse known as the atmosphere, an expanse known as space. And then we see down in verse 4, um, there are stars and moons and suns. In verse, uh, in verse 20, we see that God created um, living creatures that live in the ocean and birds that fly in the air and living creatures that uh, creep and crawl on the ground. And then in verse uh, 24, God created all kinds of land animals and also mankind on day 6. So all throughout uh, chapter 1 of Genesis, and that was kind of a, a really quick rundown, all throughout chapter 1 of Genesis, God is creating during daylight periods, and he is resting during darkness periods. Uh, this is the pattern, okay? Verse 23 is a good indication. There was evening, and there was morning, a fifth day, okay? Verse 19, there was evening, and there was morning, a fourth day. And there is this natural period of work when it's light outside and rest when it's dark outside that God established on a daily basis in Genesis chapter 1. I hope you can see that from the text, that God worked when it was light. After he made the light, okay, he was working during the, the light, the period of light. And then when it was dark, he was resting during that period. So we find in God's example, a working when it's light and a resting when it's dark. And that is a pattern that God has established for humanity. And to be honest with you, most humans function very well when they work when it's light outside and they rest when it's dark outside. Obviously, due to electricity and the invention of um, factories that can have lights and machines that work all the time, there are lots of people, probably millions of people on the earth who work when it's dark and rest when it's light. But if you talk to anybody who's done that, they, they will always tell you, I got used to it, but it's very unnatural. I got used to it, but it's unnatural. Why is that? That's because it's in opposition to what God originally designed or the pattern that God established. Now, do I think it's sinful to work a third shift and to, to do something opposite of what God designed in this particular instance? I don't think I could go so far as to say working at night and resting during the daytime is sinful, but you can say there are negative effects that you might experience because it is against God's pattern. And I can say in my own personal life, I've had to do this at various times. I've had to work late shifts or overnight shifts and had to rest during the daytime. And it does feel unnatural. But 
that only proves the point that God established a pattern. It feels unnatural to me because God established a pattern. And then when we come down to this ordinance of labor, we look at chapter 2 and we see here a very clear and precise establishment of a rest day, not just a rest period within a 24-hour day. You see, the evening period when it's dark outside is the rest period within the literal 24-hour day. But on uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3, we see that God established an entire day of rest. So the, the light portion and the dark portion of the day was dedicated to rest. So let me read this to you, Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And by the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So, God, who is infinitely powerful, all right, and was not exhausted in the least by all the work that he did in creating the heavens and the earth and all the creatures that inhabit the earth, and by placing all the stars in the right alignment and at the right trajectory and the right distance from another, God, who did all of that work, was not actually tired because he's God, but he still chose to rest on the seventh day. Okay, God was not tired, but he chose to rest. And I think this is important because it establishes a pattern that God set for humanity, a pattern of six days of work and one day of rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. In the same way that each day has a period for working, that's the light portion of the day, in a period for resting, the dark portion of the day, so too each week, each period of seven has a pattern, six days for working and a seventh day for resting. Now let's unpack, what does this teach? What does this communicate to us? Number one, because we follow God's example in Genesis chapter one and two, it establishes a pattern that we should try to emulate in our lives that is different than the pattern that people who believe in evolutionary theory establish. People who believe in evolutionary theory would minimize the importance of work. They would probably try to work as little as absolutely possible and get as much as they can during that time because the value of work is just to, what, satisfy oneself? or to make a living, or to have nice things in life, there's, there's not really a, a overarching value of work when you come from an evolutionary worldview. Obviously, you need to survive, and so that's why you would work. But if you could work one day a week and survive, why not rest for, for six days? Why not do that? Well, it appears that doing work six days a week, and resting for one day a week is a good pattern of life and a profitable pattern of life for every human being. Why? Because all beings are made in God's image, and we should all imitate the God who created us. 
there is such a thing as too much leisure. Leisure. People get bored. People pursue sinful pursuits when there's too much leisure. People have time on their hands to um, do things that would be detrimental to, to, to society rather than beneficial to society. When people don't work for a considerable number of hours of a week, when, for instance, they either make so much money that they only work one or two days, or when somebody subsidizes the basic necessities of life and they don't work because somebody else is paying for them to live, that idleness translates into all types of different problems that appear in society. And I don't want to really get too far down into that rabbit hole. We could really go deep there, but I don't want to do that right now. I just want to get this basic principle that God says it's good to work and that working six days a week and resting for one day is a pattern that was established by God and should be imitated by his creatures. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, well, God created a perfect environment for the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. There was a garden there, and it's called the Garden of Eden. And in that garden, everything was perfect, and there was no curse of sin, and there was there was no toil and labor like we think of toil and labor today. But I want you to just look at verse 5 of Genesis chapter 2 and, and read this with me and just follow uh, the logic here. In verse 5, it says, Now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Clearly, Moses, who is the author of Genesis chapter 1, is is using this phrase, shrub of the field and plant of the field, to refer to agricultural pursuits that would have led to food and food production. These shrubs of the field and the plants of the field, while we don't know what those are exactly, uh, you could say maybe one's a fruit tree and one would like be uh, wheat or something like that. We don't know exactly what they were, but the clear implication and the indication of Moses is that these were agricultural pursuits that would have produced food that would have fed mankind. And none of these had grown yet, okay? So these specific shrubs of the field and the specific plants of the field had not grown yet for two reasons. Number one, there was no rain yet on the earth, and there was no man more importantly, to cultivate the ground. Now, this word cultivate is actually the same word that is translated work in other places, okay? It's also translated serve, all right? So there was no man to work the ground. And while God does not state specifically here, you must work, O Adam, that is your duty, the implication is that Adam had specific tasks that he needed to do that Adam would be required to work in order to eat. You see, from the very beginning, work is connected with caring for your physical needs and the needs of the and the physical needs of your family. Work is connected with food provision. 
and shelter provision. Although we don't really see shelter provision here in this verse, we can see it in some other places in Scripture. But work is connected with eating. You reap what you sow. Sowing is putting the seed in the ground. It also involves the cultivation of that ground and the care of that seed while it's germinating and throughout its growing process. And then after you've sown, you can reap the harvest of whatever whatever it is that you've planted. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, though we don't find an explicit command from God for Adam to work, we see an implied command. And when we take the pattern of God found in Genesis chapter 1 and also in verse uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we see that God worked during the light periods, rested during the dark periods, and then took an entire day of rest on the seventh day. Now, I don't want to get too much into the day of rest because that's the last creation ordinance we're going to study. We're going to say a lot about that. But let's say this at the present time. A day of rest doesn't mean much if every day is a day of rest. So if you're not working, if you're resting, then a day of rest kind of loses its meaning. You see, words have to have meaning in context with other words. So a, a, a day of rest, God resting on the seventh day, um, that loses its significance, it loses its importance, it loses its value if five days of the week are rest days and only two days of the week are work days. Or in the case of some people, if they never work, then there's never any reason to rest. They spend all of their time, seven days a week, 365 days a year, pursuing their own enjoyment, pursuing their own pleasures, doing whatever pleases them. And the the danger in that is you lose this cycle of life this order of life that God has established from the very beginning. And this brings me to another point that I think is really critical to understand. There is a cycle of life, a repetition of life that produces the most beneficial results. And that cycle of life is working six days and resting for one day. Working six days and resting for one day. That is a cycle of life that produces the most beneficial results for society as a whole. It imitates the creator. It is good for the structure of family life. And there are many other ancillary blessings associated with this work-rest cycle. Now, if you just stop and think about history for 30 seconds, you can see that for the majority of Western history, all right, since the time of Christ, cultures have worked for most of the week and rested for either one or two days on the weekend. This has been proven to be a very, very profitable pattern of life. We can say it's proven to be profitable because in the 1950s and 60s, the USSR, which was a godless, 
atheistic government that believed in the theory of evolution and tried to create a society based upon conclusions drawn from the theory of evolution, this society tried to work people seven days a week with no rest period. And you know what they found? They found that people were less effective working seven days a week and they produced less product working seven days a week than if they worked six days a week and had a day of rest. Now, I don't find that to be coincidental at all. I find that to be totally consistent with the pattern that God established. And I would say that that would actually be some good um, evidence to support the pattern that God established that we should work six days and rest for one day. Now, uh, what kind of work should you do and how long should you work? Uh, those are really good questions. The, the questions to those are, to some degree, open-ended because what you do for work should be dependent upon your skills and the abilities that you have, and how much you need to work should be dependent upon a variety of factors. First, first of all, can you work enough to provide for your daily food? That's the first consideration when it comes to work. Can I work enough to provide for my daily food? In some cultures of the world, that requires um, farming or gardening or herding animals for many, many hours a day, you know, from sunup to sundown. But in other cultures, like uh, more advanced cultures, first world cultures, you can probably work a eight hours in a day and earn enough money to pay for all the food that you would need to, to purchase. You could work maybe um, eight hours, five, six days a week and have overtime. Maybe you would get paid overtime. Maybe your company does that. And then you may, with that overtime money, have additional money to pay for not just the basic necessities of life, but also to care for some of the uh, disposable fun things that we like to do in life. It's always the disposable fun things that go first when we lose our job. We stop eating out. We stop going to movies or amusement parks or other things that are not necessary in life, but are fun to do and are enjoyable. And we should not feel guilty about doing those things if we've been provided with the income to do so. I should say if we've earned the income to do so, not been provided with the income to do so. Suffice it to say, work is an important aspect of life, and it is good for every person to work. And it is good for every person to work a full work week. Now, again, in Western cultures, a full work week is, is five hours, uh, or I'm sorry, five days a week, eight, eight to 10 hours a day, with usually two days of rest. And that's a luxury that we have because of the wealth that God has blessed us with. And I would suggest that if you, if you are working five days a week and you have two days off, you figure out how to use one of those days to work for the Lord and for the Lord's kingdom. If you're a believer, you should be doing some type of ministry so that you can use your effort and energy to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If you have to work a job that's six days a week, and you have to work eight or 10 hours those days, 
then you need to make sure that on your rest day, you do spend time worshiping, but you also spend time resting. That means maybe scheduling a nap or scheduling some other activity that is um, beneficial to you, beneficial to your family, but that would allow you to do something different than your regular job so that you can actually rest from your regular job. All right, well, that's all we're going to cover today. Uh, Next week, when we look at some other aspects of work, we are going to cover um, the goodness of work and the consequences of not working. So I hope that you'll be able to tune in next week and catch that next episode. May God bless you, and may you really think about the importance of the work-rest cycle that God has given to us.